0: The problem of idolizing Rachel and her children, the problem with that is it's, it's affecting the other people in his family, especially Leah and her, and her sons. Leah lived a constant life of rejection. Imagine marrying to a husband who knows that, that he doesn't love you. who just constantly, re- you're never enough for him, by the way. And therefore, the sons that are born from Leah is never enough for him, for Jacob. Jacob's sons killed, tried to kill Joseph because of Jacob's idolatrous love for Rachel and her children. The reason why they're there in the first, he's there in the first place, is because the reason why Jacob's family was falling apart, where the, where one brother, where the set of brothers wanted to kill the other brother, is because it's Jacob's fault, it's because Jacob's idolatrous love for Rachel and her children. You see, sin has a way Sin is never just about you transgressing against God's will. Sin always affects the people around you. If you look at the Old Testament laws, God is very strict in terms of what you eat, the cleaning rituals. Like, God is very strict with Israel about rituals and about sin. And the reason why God is so strict about all these issues about life, is because God knows one sin, a sin of an individual, can affect the entire community, the entire nation. Sin is never just localized to you. It affects others. And that's why, I, don't, that's why I think this is what modern people, modern people are, 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 are not realizing. Modern people think, as long as, You know, you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't affect anyone. What is the modern, you know, what is the modern ethic? The modern ethic is this. I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. I can love who I want. I can marry who I want. I can do whatever with my body, whatever I want. And as long as I do whatever I want and as long as I don't hurt anyone, then I'm free to do whatever I want to do. What they don't understand Sin never stays local. Sin always spreads. Like the coronavirus. It spreads all over. And this is part of the sermon where I can get fired at my regular job. So here we go. I'm being courageous. Transgender issues. The world says. The the thought leader of the world says. If you feel. That you're if you're born in a wrong gender, then you have the liberty to do with your body as you wish. Right? And on the outset, it seemed very, it seemed very accepting and loving, right? If you're in pain, if you're pain, the cause of your pain you think it's, it's because of the body, that you, it's because there's a distinct, you know, there's, you're born in a different body, then certainly... You're free to do with your body whatever you wish. Inject as many hormones that are not naturally producing you body. Inject them truckloads, right? Cut off the appendages that are there for a purpose, but if you don't think you need them, even though it's clear that you need them, you feel free to cut them off. You be you, they say. But the problem is this, that mentality is affecting thousands of young women to mutilate their body. The desire for especially young teenage girls, my daughter's age, who want to go through that medical procedure of transforming their bodies, that's skyrocketing upwards right now. And young girls are going through these procedures, which are irreversible and damaging. I don't want to diminish the pain that transgender folks go through. I'm pretty sure it's incredibly painful. But saying you can do whatever you want with your body and not as long as it doesn't affect anyone, that's not true. That mentality of doing whatever you want with your body is having an effect on a generation of young women in, in, our, in, in our country. Sin is never local. Sin never stays with you. It spreads. And that's exactly what is happening in Jacob's family. Because Jacob couldn't let his idolatrous love for Rachel and her children go, his family is a mess. And he's holding on to the idolatrous love so tightly, even if he doesn't want to let that go, even if it means sacrificing his other son, even if it means sacrificing his other son, he can't let it go. By the way, Jesus Christ was not born in Rachel's line, by the way. Jesus Christ was born in Leah's line. Isn't that very? Jesus was born through the lineage of a woman who was rejected. And he was rejected for our sake. Anyway, that's, later. I'm tearing up right now. Anyway, that's what it is. So, so Jacob said, I'm not, I'm, not sending, I'm not sending him out. I'm not, there's no way I'm sending Benjamin out. He's holding on tightly. And God says, oh yeah, we'll see about that. What does God do? Verse 1, now the famine was severe in the land. Verse 2, and when they had eaten the grain they just, they just had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. Jacob was holding on so tightly. But God did not lend, but God, in order to free Jacob's hand, did not let the famine stop. He let the famine become more severe. The famine was become more, Jacob was holding on, the famine became more severe. And they were running out of food to eat. In fact, the nine big bags of grain that his son brought from Egypt, they, they're going through it. They, they're, they're almost done with it. Now there's no more food. There's no more food. God is allowing suffering to the land and in Jacob's family to pry open Jacob's hand to let his sons, to let his idolatrous love go. One of the main reasons why God allowed the famine it is to heal Jacob by letting Jacob let go of his idolatrous love. If it wasn't for the famine, if it wasn't for the fact that he was running out of food, if it wasn't for the fact that he's, they're literally about to starve to death, Jacob would still forever hold on to the idolatrous love. But now God is forcing Jacob's hands to be open. Through the famine. My dear friends, all of us is holding on to things that we shouldn't hold on to, and that's true. But if he loves you, God is going to introduce suffering to you so that, he can let, so that you can let go. One of the main reasons of why God is allowing suffering in your life it is so that you will let go things that you should let go, so that you can live. Jacob's family was dying because he was holding on to the, the idolatrous love. The only way that family will be healed is if Jacob is what if Jacob lets go. He needs to let go, and because God knows this, famine depletion of food is introduced to his family. It seems very mean. It seems very unloving for God to do this. Right? But it is the most loving thing that he can do. Because the thing that we're holding on to is destroying us. And if he truly loves us, he'll do everything so that our hands will be open and let go of the things that we're holding on to. When we let go of these things, God becomes, God, our, our empty hands become filled with, 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 with God. And when we start, when our empty hands start to grasp hold of God rather than the idols, it is then we will live. Listen, my friends, my dear friends, I'm an old man, 51 years old as of Friday. Don't look it, don't feel it, but evidently I am. The, 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 the problem of being, the, the benefit of being 51, right? I should get a tattoo, 51. It, you see a lot of suffering in my day. I see a lot of suffering in my day. And all the suffering that has come, all the suffering that I go through have this in common. God is introducing these sufferings because I was holding on to things that I shouldn't be holding on to. And suffering comes when God takes these things away that I hold on, held on to. Whether it is my, 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 my idolatry about security of my job, whether it is idolatry of the security of my family, whatever idolatry that I thought that I had, God removes them. And when he removes them, it is very painful. But I'm telling you, when he removes them, he fills that empty space with himself. And when he fills that empty space with himself, I get to know who God is. And when I get to know who God is, I start to become a changed man. I am a better pastor. I am a better preacher. I am a better father. I'm a better lawyer because of it. When I let go, all these things that destroy, when God fills it, the people around me start to benefit. You start to benefit. When I hold on to things, people around me suffer. When I let go and when God fills its place, it benefits others. That's why God pries open our hands. Guys, if you're holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness... I am so sorry. You are an agent of cancer in your family. If you're holding on to unforgiveness and sin, my friends, dear friends, understand, you are an agent of destruction. But when God takes these things away, it may hurt like a son of a gun, I'll be honest, but he replaces it with, with himself. And you'll be better for it, my dear friend. Number one reason for suffering, I think, biblically, it is so that you will let go of the things that you're holding on to. And that is what happened to Jacob. Jacob's, God forced Jacob's hand. Jacob didn't have any food. So Jacob tells his sons, sons, go back to Egypt. Buy some food there. But Judah, his son, says, but father, remember what the man said. The man said, the only way they will sell, they will, they will, he will sell me more, more food is if if Benjamin comes with us. Remember, Benjamin needs to go with us. Oh. We will only go if you promise to send Benjamin with us if you don't agree to send Benjamin with us, we're not, we ain't going nowhere. Verse 6, Jacob, Jacob says, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? What is Jacob doing? When Judah says, look, we need to bring Benjamin, otherwise we're not going to go. Jacob got mad and says, he starts blaming his children. Why did you do this? Why did you tell the man that you had another brother? Why did you do that, you crazy people? Notice Jacob's response. When stress comes, when pressure comes, when God is taking things away, when God is slowly opening up his hand, Jacob becomes bitter. And he starts to blame his sons. In that moment, Jacob doesn't understand that there is a reason why God is allowing the famine to happen. There's a reason why God is allowing him to risk Benjamin. There's a reason why God is allowing these things to happen. There is a reason why God is allowing these things to happen. But in this particular moment, Jacob doesn't realize it because all he could focus on is losing the thing that he loved the most. Guys, that is our response. When bad things happen to us, when we lose things, when when, when we think we're in jeopardy, when God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers, we get mad. We're like Jacob. Why is God doing this? Or we project our aggression toward our spouse. Why do why, why, why? We get angry. We don't see nor are we willing to see that there's a reason why God is allowing this in the first place. Guys, when, when you suffer, and you will suffer, when God takes things away from you, it is a very human response to, to freak out and get angry, and it is. But after the initial emotions come down, When you suffer, you need to ask yourself and ask God. What is the purpose of this suffering? You got to know that there's a purpose to this suffering. And you, you need the humility to ask God. God, I don't know why this is happening. But I trust that you're letting these things happen. Even though I can't see it right now why this is happening. Please show me why this is happening. When bad things happen to you, it is a gift from God. That's what John Piper says. When John Piper had colon cancer, he says, Hallelujah, God is giving me this as a gift. Suffering, treat it as God's gift to you. And seek God's will within that suffering. Do you understand? God is the sovereign, omnipotent, omnipresent, almighty God. God. There's nothing that is happening in your life that is a freak accident. Everything is organized. Everything is purposeful. Everything, there is a mind, a will behind it. There is. We are just limited beings who cannot comprehend that. But it doesn't mean there isn't a purpose behind that. You need to tr- know that there is a purpose behind it. And be humble enough to seek God. God, why are, and why am I suffering like this? When you walk with God in the midst of your suffering, I promise you, you're going to start seeing why you need to go through these things. Jacob, in this particular moment, is not doing it. He's blaming his son. Stop blaming others. When cast- castras- castrasophy, Ugh. how do you pronounce that word? Catastrophe. When catastrophe happens, ask. Say, Lord, this is what you're doing. And there must be something. I don't know what it is. But show me. daily. show me. And he will. When Jacob says, why are you doing this to me? I love Judah's response. Judah says, we didn't know he was going to ask us to send Benjamin with us. We didn't know. The man just asked us questions about who you are. The man just asked questions about our family. We had no idea that he's going to ask Benjamin to come with us. I had no idea. That's what Judah's response. That's what Judah's response. Fair, right, John? John thinks that's fair. In verse 8, Judah says, but father, even though I don't know, verse 8, Judah says, send the boy with me and I will arise and go that we may live and not die. We and you and also our little ones. Verse 8 is a loaded verse. It seems like an isolated verse, but it's a loaded verse, verse 8. Because it is in verse 8, we can see Jacob starts to change. Let's see what Judah says. The first thing that Judah said was this, father, I know it's hard for you. But but give me Benjamin. And I promise you. I'm going to bring him back to you. It's not just I promise. like Verse 9. I will pledge his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you. Set and set him before you, then let me be the bearer of the blame forever. He's saying, if somehow I don't bring Benjamin back, I will be blamed for his his death. I will be responsible for his death. I will forever be responsible for for his death. I'll promise you. This is a significant change for Judah because this Judah dude is not a nice man. He's not. This Judah dude is not a nice guy. This Judah dude was one of the chief architects of Jacob's, of beating up Jacob and selling him to slavery. But you could see the guy's change here in verse 8 and 9. One of the main reasons why Joseph tested his brothers, one of the main reasons why Joseph accused his brothers of being spies, one of the main reasons why Joseph allowed asked his brothers to bring Benjamin to Egypt, was to test whether they have really changed. Joseph wanted to know, are these the same jerks who tried to kill me 22 years ago? Are these the same heartless individuals, selfish individuals, 22 years ago? Or have they changed? Have they changed? Have they grown in their love for their brothers? Are they going to come back for Simeon? Are they going to bring Benjamin back? Are they they going to take care of Benjamin? Is or have they changed? That's the purpose of the test. Guys, one of the key ways that we know that we have changed, one of the key ways that we know that we truly belong to God is the change in our attitude towards our brothers and sisters. The evidence, the fruitfulness of salvation, the fruitfulness of transformation is love. First John it says, well, first John 2, it says, You say you love God but don't love your brothers, you're a liar. If you don't love your brothers, you don't love God. That's what that's what John is saying. Jesus says, the world will know if you you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus says the evidence of your salvation is if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like Joseph wanted to see the change of their brothers, God is allowing us, introducing various people in our lives, especially people in the church, to show whether we truly love him or not and, by, and the way we truly know whether we love Jesus or not is by how much love we have for one another. Let's not... Let's be realistic about this. The evidence of your maturity is not your Bible knowledge. It's not some spiritual experiences that you had back in the day. It's not the length of your prayers. It's not the, it's not the words of your prayers. All these things are not evidence of whether you know the Lord or whether you love the Lord. The evidence of you whether you truly know the love the Lord is do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you pray for them? Do you reach out to them? Are you there for them? Look, what makes this, my 51st birthday really special is my family showing their love for me. Evidently, my love language is gifts. I'm a sucker for gifts. My daughter bought me a stormtrooper action figure, right? It's really cool, and it's meaningful because she made $100 last week by playing a violin somewhere, and the action figure cost like 40 bucks, So she spent 40% of her earnings to her, her good old dad. My son works his butt off a giant. He spends his hard-earned money to buy me a Jimmy 2 cologne, which I think is fantastic. It can't be cheap for him. And my wife sacrificing her money to buy me all these things. It makes me feel, it recharges me. We are to do similar things to each other. If you have no room for each other, then you have no room for Christ. That's what the Bible is saying. This is what Joseph wanted to see whether they've really changed. God wants us to see whether we really changed. Before it's too late, God wants us to see whether we really changed. And the way we know that we really changed in faith is if we grow in our love for our brothers and sisters. That is it. If your Christianity is all about your experience, then you have the Christianity wrong. Second significance of this verse. And we're almost done. Verse 8. Jo so Judah is saying, we need, send Benjamin with us. You need to send Benjamin with us. So that we will live, you will live, most significantly, and also our little ones. So that our children would live. This, I think, caused something. This caused a reaction in Jacob. When Judah said, if you don't send Benjamin, then our children will die, this stirred something in Jacob. How do we know? We can see the way that Jacob's changed response in verse 13. For time's sake, i got to skip 10, 11, 12, but smuggled leaders take, take care of it. Verse 13, take also your brothers and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant mercy before the man. When Judah said, Our sons will die, verse 14, Jacob says, Let the God Almighty grant you mercy. Interesting. Our children will die. Jacob said, Take Benjamin and let the God Almighty give you mercy. What is the relationship? I'll tell you the relationship. The word God Almighty, right, in verse 14, it means, in Hebrew, it means El Shaddai, God, El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God. He's in control of every aspect, every square inch of existence are under his control. That's the first definition of El Shaddai. The second definition of El Shaddai is this. Not only is God in control of every aspect of creation, God is especially faithful to the people that he made a promise to. El Shaddai means God will use his power, limitless power, to fulfill the promises that he he made to his people. El Shaddai means not only that God is powerful, but God is going to use his power to fulfill the promises he made to his people. That's what El Shaddai means. The first time El Shaddai comes into, is introduced in Genesis, is when God tells Abraham, Abraham, you're almost 100 years old and your wife is 90 years old. But Abraham, I promise you, you're gonna have a biological child. You're 100, Abraham is almost twice as old as I am right now, your wife is 90. But I promise you, you're going to have a biological child from, your, from you and Sarah. Abraham says, how oh, is that possible? God says, because I am El Shaddai. It may be impossible for you, but because I am God Almighty, and because I've made a covenant with you to, 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 to make your father of many nations, I will make the impossible possible because I've made a commitment to you. Are you with me? When Judah said, our children will die, Jacob started to remember the promises that God made to his grandfather Abraham. Jacob began to remember, my father, Isaac, was born from from my grandfather Abraham when my grandfather was 100 years old. I am a product of the miracle of God. I'm a product of a miracle of God because God promised, God made a covenant with my grandfather. I am here today because God made a promise to my grandfather and God fulfilled it. I remember if God, if I am here because God promised my grandfather, I remember once again the promise my God God made to my grandfather which means he will protect my children God promised my grandfather to protect my children therefore I can let Benjamin go because I know for sure that God's going to protect my children because he made a promise to Abraham do you see where, where we're going with this? Abraham could let Benjamin go because Jacob could let Benjamin go because Jacob remembered the. the, the, Jacob had a correct understanding of who God was. The God who protects his people no matter what because he promised to. How do you let go of your idols? How do you let go of things that you hold on to so tightly? How do you let it go? You need to have the right idea about God. The way you surrender your life, the way you surrender your control, the way you surrender and let go of the sins that is contaminating you, the way you let go of the bitterness that is killing you, the way you let go is to have the right idea about God. You're not letting go because your idea of God is very small. You're not letting go because the thing that you're holding on to is greater and bigger and more real to you than God. And they're more real to you than God is because you don't have the right idea about God. It is only when Jacob had, began to understand the right idea about God that he let it go. The issue with you not letting go is because you have a small, incorrect understanding about God. The bigger, the more real, the clear understanding that you have of Him is easier to let go. Forgiveness. People hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness for a long, long time. They hold on to the unforgiveness and bitterness. Why? It's because they don't know the forgiveness that God offers in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of your sins, the forgiveness of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, it's not real to you. That's why bitterness is a better option for you. Because forgiveness is a very very small idea in your mind. Why do you hold on to sin? Why do you know why you hold on to sin? Because the living God, because you have a very small idea of the living God, the small idea of living God constructed reality in such a way that when you do these things, it is unhealthy for your soul in order for you to let go of your sin, you need to have a big idea about who God is and why He's telling you not to do these things. When you have a big idea about God and if you understand why He's not telling you to do these things, when you have a clear understanding of that, you don't want to do these sins that 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 you're doing right now. It's true. Of all the people that I know who overcome their sinful addictions, the commonality is they grew in the bigness idea about who God is. When the idea about God becomes big, the sins become very small. Jacob could, could let Benjamin go because he started to have a correct idea about God. The thing I don't like about Buddhism, man, I'm, I'm going after all these different people today. Buddha says, you got to let go. If you let go, if you try to hold the water with your clenched fist, you're not going to be able to hold anything to the water. I don't know. But if you let go, you can experience the water. That's what they say. I don't know what that means. That means you got to let go. That's what Buddha said. You got to let it go. Elsa says you got to let it go. But you can only let it go if you have something, if you grab onto something that is better. That's what Elsa and the Buddhists don't understand. When you grasp big God and a loving God and a merciful God, the thing that you're holding on to becomes really small. That's how you let things go, that's how you surrender. Does it make sense? God is calling you to experience Him every day, He is. He's calling you to fill your mind with the awesomeness of who he is. He really is. He's calling you to do that so that you can let these dangerous things go. If God is small, you're going to hold on to things. If God is big, you're going to let it go. How big is God to you? How real is He to you? I pray that He would be massive. I pray that He would be gargantuan. I pray that He would be huge to you. So that these petty things that are destroying you, you let it go and you experience His life. Let us pray.